0: Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale Audio Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. Now, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This weekend, we're continuing our series entitled, Whole, W-H-O-L-E, Whole. Where we are taking six weeks to study the first dozen verses of Deuteronomy chapter six. And a month ago, we, when we started this series, week one, we talked about uh, the number one thing that gets in the way of us loving God with our whole self, and that is the love of self. And then in week two, we talked about obedience that we're commanded, not just asked to obey, or it's not just suggested that we obey, we're commanded as sons and daughters of God to obey God. Then last week, we talked about God's response to your obedience, that God rewards you every time you obey. The title of the message was If You, and that leads us to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and that's what we're going to take a look at this weekend, and the title of the message is in Hebrew. So you're gonna learn a little bit this weekend. I'm not preaching this weekend. I am 100% teaching this weekend. The title of the message is Shema, Shema. Let's look at two of the most important verses in the entire Bible, not just in Judaism. In Judaism, they pray these two verses uh, twice a day, every day, in the morning and in the evening. They pray the Shema prayer. And in Christianity, these two verses are just as significant. Remember, we've talked about this. Jesus was cornered, and someone said, boil the whole book down for me. What's the most important thing? And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Shema. So let's read these all-important verses, Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength." Now in this message, we're gonna break down these two verses into three uh, separate things, because that's really what they are. They're, they're three separate parts that are connected together. So let's just jump into point number one, starting with the first three words. Point number one, Here means more than listen. Here means more than listen. Hear, O Israel. Shema Yisrael, that's the Hebrew. Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. But this word hear, sometimes we just think it means, hey, pay close attention, just listen. Hey, are you hearing me? The strength of these words, hear, O Israel, is almost beyond what you could wrap your mind around. It is extremely strong. And when you're studying uh, the uh, different civilizations, one of the ways to find the uniqueness in every civili- civilization is to study their language. And you look for words that they use that are untranslatable into all other languages. For instance, the Bedouin have many different words for our one word, sand. It's kind of obvious as to why. The Inuit have many different words for our one word, snow. It's kind of obvious why. In the Greek language and in Greek society in biblical times, there was a word, megalopsukos. All right? So you're getting some Hebrew and some Greek this weekend. So you're getting extra stars in heaven this weekend, all right? This word, megalopsukos, listen to what it means. It means a great souled person, one blessed with wealth, status, and effortless superiority. This is where we get our English word, Kardashian. They laughed just as hard at that last night. That's not even funny. I preached this five times yesterday to myself in my office and not once did I even crack a smile and y'all just erupt in laughter. That's that's problematic right there, but that's okay. This word megalopsuchos, it has no equivalent in Judaism or Christianity. And think about, it kind of makes sense as to why. These are two religions known for humility, being asked to walk in humility. So literally, what they did is they saw this word, megalopsukos in the Greek, and it involves egotism and egalitarianism, and they said, we don't want to be known for that. We're not translating that word. So they don't. Okay. In the same way, in the same way that megalopsukos is untranslatable, the word shema is untranslatable. It is unable to be fully translated in any other language, and it kind of makes sense as to why. Think about it. God made the nation of Israel the world's greatest advertisement for a people created to hear. So God gave them a word that means to hear that is completely Uh, untranslatable because it is so robust in meaning no other language could do it justice. Hear, O Israel. Now I have a question for you as it relates to what you hear. How do you decide what you hear and what you tune out? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, we all kind of work by the same rules, you know? And here's the premise of, of how we decide what we listen to and what we tune out. Typically, this is how we think, to the extent that this is valuable for me, I will press in and listen. But if it is not valuable for me, I'm going to tune you out, right? Okay. Shema Yisrael does not mean, oh, hey, Israel. It doesn't mean, how you doing, Israel? Shema Yisrael means... Tune in to what I'm about to say to you. Listen closely. Dedicate all of your faculties, both emotional and intellectual, to what I am about to say. What I'm about to say is not arbitrary or pointless. It is essential to your well-being. That's the strength of the word Shema. Now, if something is essential to my well-being, it stands to reason I'm going to listen, right? That's how God starts in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Tune in. Dedicate yourself to hearing what I'm about to say. But here's the challenge in the church world. Many Christians think they get credit for just hearing. So you, you you go to work this week and you're talking to an unbeliever in the middle of the week and you say, ah, I went to church this week. And your friend says, Oh, that's great. What did the pastor preach on? And you say, oh, it was amazing. The message was amazing. Oh, wait, that's how I talk. Never mind. I'm just kidding. The message was fantastic. He was on fire. It was so good. Oh, that's great. What was the message about? Oh, it was a good one. I mean, he hadn't preached that that good. Oh, it was so good. That's awesome. Tell me what it was about. Oh, it was about God. And it was about people. And from time to time, it was about me. Uh, and and about a lot of other complicated things that someone like you just, just couldn't understand, so I can't even explain it to you. What is the person actually saying? They were here, but they didn't actually hear. Christians don't get credit for what they hear. They get credit for what they do with it. They don't get credit for what they hear. We get credit for what we do with what we hear. And every sentence you ever hear in a sermon of mine is an incomplete sentence until you personally punctuate it with a reaction to it. Every sentence I ever preach in a sermon is an incomplete sentence until you finish it with action. And listen, I love one-liners. There have already been a couple in this message. I love one-liners. During the week, I'll be studying in my office, I'll feel the Lord give me a one-liner, it's been like this for almost 20 years i get so tickled i'll run out of my office i'll chase holly down wherever she is uh, around our house and i'll say babe, babe 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 you gotta hear this this is amazing this is one of my favorite one-liners in a month listen to this and usually she just giggles at me because it's just funny that i just still act this way to her i love one-liners and god loves one-liners too otherwise he wouldn't give them out but have you ever thought, which one-liners in a sermon are God's favorite one-liners? Let me answer it for you. God's favorite one-liners in a sermon are not the ones you write out. His favorite one-liners are the ones you live out. It's awesome that you write down a one-liner and go, ooh, that was good, that was good. No, it wasn't if you don't do anything with it. We don't just get credit for hearing. We have to respond to what we hear. And one of the m- meanings of the word Shema is to hear so well that I do whatever I hear. That is Shema. Hear, O Israel. That's how this starts out. We can't just listen. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Hear, O Israel, tune in to what I'm about to say. It's essential to your well-being. Dedicate all of your faculties to listening to what I'm about to say. That brings us to point number two, the next section of the Shema. Point number two, one means one and only. One means one and only. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One. Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. Four words that are a central confession for our faith. Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad. I've been praying that this week, just studying it, and I'm telling you, there's a reason, there's a reason that that people in Judaism and Christianity take these verses so seriously because they are central to what we believe. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. One means one and only. And we see not just these words in scripture, we see a tone coming out of God as he speaks these things. So the Bible doesn't just say he's the only God. God steps in and he says it multiple times throughout scripture, and I can't read them all, but I just want you to hear the tone in his voice when he talks about being the one and only God, because they're strong words. Isaiah chapter 45, verse five. God says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me, so all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first, and I'm the last. How's that possible? He says, there is no other God. The only way to be the first and the last is if you're the only one. There is no other God. Then in verse 7, you see some of the confidence that I just love coming out of God in Scripture. He says, who is like me? And you know he said it strong like that. You know, you know it wasn't. Who, who is like me? Who is like me? Let him step forward and prove to you his power. And there's an inference there. Let him prove his power to you like I've proven mine to you. It's not possible. It cannot happen. He strongly communicates. I'm the only God. There is no other. Now, I'm a sports junkie. I love sports. And I love sports because I love competition. All right? If you ever come to my house to play games, number one, you won't because I don't play games with church members because they won't stay church members for very long. (laughs) But I'm getting counseling for that, I promise. But I love competing. I love watching two people or two teams come together and compete against one another. I love close games, but I hate watching blowouts. The only time I like a blowout is when I'm playing you in cards and then I love to blow you out. But I hate watching blowouts. I like games where every possession matters. Okay, When you hear the tone in God's voice, when he talks about, I am the only one. There is no other God but me. okay, He is speaking with a tone as someone who has never known anything but blowouts. That's the strength that is in his tone. And it reminds me of 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah gets together with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, and he has a little contest. And he says to the prophets, hey, let's just have a little contest. Let's see whose God is real. I mean, you guys got so many of them. Remember, this was a polytheistic society, and we believe there's one God, monotheism. He says, let's just see whose God is true, is real. Uh, Let's just take some wood and put it in a pile, and let's you pray to your God or gods, uh, and I'll pray to my one true God, and let's just see whose God can send fire down from heaven. So the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they start first, and they're going crazy. I mean, they're doing everything they know to do. They're screaming, uh, they're dancing, they're doing everything they know to do. Nothing's happening. Then they start cutting themselves, trying to get their God's attention, and this is when Elijah starts to get a little bit, Honor in a godly way. And I love that honoriness is in the Bible because I feel like it empowers my own personally. Elijah says to the prophets of Baal and Asherah, well, maybe he's just busy right now. Or, or maybe he's just in the bathroom. One of the best lines in the whole Bible. And then Elijah says, it's my turn. He says, let's, let's take this wood, but somebody will get me some water. Now hit the pause button. I don't know that we all understand the subtlety and the brilliance of what Elijah was doing. Now, the the god Baal, uh, lowercase g, was called the god of fertility and the god of rain. All right, And the god Asherah, lowercase g, uh, was maybe you've heard the Asherah pole. It was a wooden pole that people would pray to the god Asherah, and the places they would pray were called groves, like groves of trees. the the god Asherah was associated with wood and the god Baal was associated with water. Isn't it interesting that Elijah says, let's get some wood and somebody go get me some water to douse the wood and let's just, uh, isn't that funny? The element associated with Asherah and the element associated with Baal. Let's just see what my one true God thinks of Baal and Asherah people incinerated the wood and the water were burned up god didn't just say i don't really like this whole asherah and Baal thing he said i'm gonna end this conversation right now i'm the only one that's how firm he is when he says i'm the one and only there is no one besides me There is no one like me. I am the one true God. Now, think about this. What is the first of the Ten Commandments? Yes, good, good. Last night there was panic when I asked that question. I don't know, and I've been in church for 35 years, and I don't know, know. and then they start coughing. (laughs) I can't answer because I'm coughing right now. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me, right? Okay, well, that, that's an interesting way to say it in Deuteronomy 5.7. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Well, Preston, it kind of sounds like what God's saying is, just make sure that I'm the God who comes first and all the other gods come after me. No, that's not what he's saying. Because he's already made it abundantly clear, he's the only one God. There's no such thing as other gods. Well, Preston, what are lowercase g gods? The best way to explain it is, The lowercase g God is anything you take or create to try and turn into a direct competitor to the one who knows no competition. Maybe it's money, maybe it's stuff, maybe it's substances, maybe it's sex, maybe it's work, success. I don't know what it is, but God says, listen, I'm the only God, nothing even comes close to me and there better not be anything that you try and put next to me in your life because I'm the only one. It's strong. It's firm. One means one and only, and that means we cannot put things on his level. We cannot make anything in our lives as important as he is because he's the one and only. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, kind of addresses this, which is it going to be? Conversation. He says in verse 14, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Okay, strong. Everyone has to decide. Are you going to serve God in the midst of serving other things? Or are you gonna settle it in your heart and serve the one true God with nothing beside Him? One means one and only. And that's what it's meant to look like in our lives, where nothing rivals the place we put him in our hearts and lives. That leads to the third point. Point number three, all means absolutely every. All means absolutely every. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength." Very important verse in Scripture, incredibly essential to our well-being. Not just our success, but to our well-being. We must understand this verse right here, and to do so, you really need to focus on the word all, not just the words heart, soul, and strength. Loving God with all. Now, when we talked about obedience a couple of weeks ago, I know that some of us have a tendency to start thinking, oh, God wants me to be a robot. He, he just wants me to not even think about what I'm doing and just do whatever he says. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. I will do what you say. And I had several people talk to me about that stuff. And I get it. And I understand that for many of you, it's because of some of the theology you were taught growing up. It's not because that's the way God is. It's because that's the way you see him. All right? Now, understand, obedience was never meant to come from the barren womb of legalism, where all we do is out of necessity and duty unto God. We were meant to have our relationship with God be built upon the foundation of love. But some of us, don't fully understand what that love looks like. So let's, let's talk about it from both sides, all right? Uh, last week, and I'm gonna get hammered for even bringing this up, because I already one of my best friends is in this room who is 10 times more ornery than me. And anytime the Cowboys lose, he wants to stand up in the middle of my message and just say, how about them Cowboys? Uh, so I'm saying it now so that he doesn't stand up and do it right now. Uh, last week, the Cowboys played the Denver Broncos. It didn't work out for those of us who are godly. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a joke. Uh, but there was a rookie on the Broncos, and I think he was a running back, 21-year-old kid, and he was quoted as saying, the fastest I ran all day today, hey, including the game, the fastest I ran all day today was to go meet Jason Witten, who plays for the Cowboys. Think about this, okay? I want to paint this picture. You got a 21-year-old kid with a bunch of veterans on his team, and he, he says, I've been uh, looking up to Jason Witten since I was 12 years old. He's been my hero since I was 12. Okay, let me just hit the pause button and kind of paint a picture between the difference of a veteran and a rookie. Veterans act like they've been there. So a veteran sees Jason Witten and goes, so? Good to see you. But so? Who cares? This rookie apparently hadn't learned the rules of the locker room. Because this kid, after the game, is running over to the Cowboys locker room where he's not supposed to be. Going, is he here? He's here. I knew he was here, he played in the game. Where is he? Somebody tell me where he is. I'm getting his autograph right now. Where's Jason? Jason! Where are you? Kid looks like a fool, right? And you know the veterans are watching him going, what is his deal? I'll tell you what his deal is. He was so intent on finding the one he was desperately searching for that when he even got close, all dignity went out the window. Whereas a veteran, they retain their dignity because it's part of their thing. Act like you've been there. This rookie didn't care. About the unwritten rules of the locker room. This kind of reminds me of church a little bit. Where veterans, they come into the presence of God. I mean, incredible worship, and they'll go, That was good. Good. Good message, Preston. It was good. Good. Brad, good communion this weekend. Good. That's how a veteran talks. You know how a rookie talks? A rookie in their heart walks through the door and says, is he here? Is he here? I heard he was here. He is here. He's here. I can hear him. He's here. And then they walk in and worship starts and they come to the front and they see the God of the universe. And they say, oh God. They can't even contain themselves. And some veteran in the back of the room is watching it go down and they are thinking, oh God. Want to know why? Why? Because veterans lose their vitality, rookies remain romantic. But some of us, because we've thrown around this word love, don't really even know what it actually means. Because in junior high, we meet someone and think, she's amazing. And we write her a letter, and at the end of the letter we say, baby, I love you. I love you. And then magically, three weeks later, we love someone else. Mom, Dad, I'm telling you, she's she's the most amazing woman I've ever met. She's 13. She's the most amazing woman I've ever met in my life. I love her. This is the one. Six weeks later, there are two others that have come through that line. We throw around this word love, but we, we really don't even understand the importance of it. When God says you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, what does that look like? Let me answer it for you. I want you to write this down. What does it look like to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength? Here's the answer to the question. When your desire is for him, when your delight is in him, and your dependence is upon him. That's what it looks like to love God with, your, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. When your desire is for him, when your delight is in him, when your dependence is upon him. And King David shows us in scripture what it looks like to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. We see the desire in, in passages like Psalm 63, verse one. David says, Oh God, you are my God. That sounds like a response to the Shema, if you ask me. Watch the next part. I earnestly search for you. That sounds like a response to verse five. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. If I didn't know any better, that kind of sounds dirty, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. There is nothing dirty about a heart that so desires God that it pours itself out completely that's how david talks we see delight passages like 1 samuel chapter 30 verse 6 says david delighted himself in the lord we see dependence all throughout the psalms david says things like this in psalm 28:7 the lord is my strength He is my strength and shield. David shows us what it looks like to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. But you know what I love about this? That God looks at David and makes a really interesting comment. He says, there's a man after my own heart. Right there, look at him. Look how his heart works. There's a man after my own heart. Here's another way to say that. Look at how his heart works towards me. That's how my heart works towards him. That's what that means. Obviously not completely or perfectly because David was imperfect and not complete. God being complete. But God says, look at how his heart works towards me. That's, that's kind of what it looks like, how my heart works towards him. He loves me with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength. I love him with my entire being. And we see it in scripture. We see in, in Psalm 149 what God delights in. For the Lord delights in his people. He takes joy in you, pleasure in you. He's not frustrated with you. You light him up like a Christmas tree in my front yard. He delights in you. Psalm 37 verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Now that's just obsession right there. God delights in every detail of your life? When you take your shoes off? He stands in heaven, peering over the balcony of heaven going, Oh, good job, Preston. Man, you're a good shoe taker offer." Because he makes up words in heaven. He delights in every detail of my life. How is that possible? I'll tell you, because he is madly, passionately obsessed with you. Now, of course, we don't see the dependence in God because really that's a strength issue. The first two are really a heart issue, the heart and soul. The soul spoke to the innermost being. So we see the desire and the delight in God towards us. Well, where do we see the desire, Preston? Okay, the Bible says he delights in us, but where do we see the desire? Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember God created Adam in his image, The Bible says, God says in his word, let us make man in our image. So he creates Adam in the image of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he puts him in a garden with a bunch of animals. And scripture says that there was found for him no suitable companion. In other words, David was lonely. He wasn't getting the companionship he was created for. So God puts him to sleep, and when Adam wakes up, he opens his eyes and sees the finest thing he has ever seen on planet Earth. I'm not even going to give the joke that the first words out of his mouth were, whoa, man, because I did the Kardashian thing. I'm not going to that well twice. How did God know that that's what Adam really wanted? Okay, remember, he made Adam in his image. And the same reason God gave Eve to Adam is the reason God gave Adam to himself. You are God's greatest desire. And we have been invited to love the God of the universe in the same way he has loved us. He says, I love you with my entire being. I'm inviting you to love me back in the same way. I want you to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. And I want you to love me like you loved that kid in junior high who was here today and gone in three weeks. I want you to put me first in your life, and I want you to be as obsessed about me as I am about you. Love me with your whole self because I love you with my entire being. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www gatewayscottsdale.tv.